0: Tonight, on the bonus round, I get into my top 10 favorite Zelda dungeons, followed by a game review on The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening for Switch. Don't go anywhere, the show starts right now. Welcome to Collateral Gaming Bonus Round. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I am podcasting straight from San Antonio, Texas. And yes, my friends, this is a 420-friendly podcast. So smoke it if you've got it, my friends. Smoke it if you've got it. Um, You may have noticed already there's only one voice this podcast. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to attempt a solo podcast tonight. Um, definitely it's not the intention, it's not going to be the format going forward for the bonus round episodes, it's just that, um, Dakota's currently preoccupied, he's not here with me, and, um, I'm already behind on the bonus round episodes, and we'll be recording Tomb Raider later this week, so I just really wanted to get into this, get caught up, and you know what, it's it's kind of a challenge I wanted to do at some point, so we're going to try to overcome this, this is probably going to be really shitty, um. And this is a bonus round episode, so I'm really not editing very much. So hopefully there's not that too many awkward pauses and whatnot. But, you know, you may hear me take a breath. You may hear me take a drink. Uh, you may hear me kind of collect my thoughts for a second. I really don't want to go in and have to edit this. So if there's a little bit of silence, just bear with me. But, yeah, solo podcast. We'll, we'll try it out. We'll see what happens. Uh, could be shitty. Could be great. I mean, if Michael Cornwell and the Country Club podcast could do it, then so can I, right? So... Uh, This is a very special episode for me as well. Um, I've been meaning to talk about Zelda for quite some time. I mean, obviously, we did our episode on The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and we're going to continue to do uh, Zelda episodes. In fact, we also did Zelda CDI, our first season. Um, We're kind of skipping Zelda this current season for the most part, because we did two Zelda games last season, so kind of trying to balance it out a little bit but um well i say it's zelda games cdi doesn't really count but in total we covered three games you know branded under that uh under the legend of zelda right so anyway um this particular episode we're going to kind of look at the series as a whole we're going to get into our top or i'm sorry i'm going to get into my top 10 favorite zelda dungeons uh that's staying in there you know that little slip up that's that's genuine that's how you know that I'm really doing this. This is not overproduced. This is raw, uncut. All right. Um, But yeah, Zelda Dungeons obviously are kind of the meat and potatoes of Zelda games. Um, It's a unique experience. You know, you hear a lot of games that are compared to Zelda when it comes to uh, the puzzle solving or action adventure, but I've never quite found a a game that's quite like it. Um, The closest thing I can find is maybe the Metroid series, which... More often it is compared to Castlevania than anything else, but I've always seen the, excuse me, the similarities between Metroid and Zelda with the puzzle solving aspect and, um, you know, just one's sci-fi and one's fantasy. But anyway, I guess I'm not going to bullshit too much longer here. Um, so starting at number 10 and we are doing 10 since it's just me here, uh, Death Mountain, The Legend of Zelda. So I had to put in one of the original Zelda dungeons. Um, this one is only at the bottom of my list because uh, dungeons at this point were a little underdeveloped. And, and it's been a while since I played the original Zelda. Um, I played it with my dad, actually. We would go back and forth, and one of us died. The other one would play. That's, that's how I played through the original Zelda. Um, and, and we did beat it, and it's, it's hard. It's hard by especially um, a lot of standards today. There's not a lot of help given in game. Of course, people had you know a lot of the answers available in guides and whatnot, but they didn't have the internet either. They just you know they had to wait for that to come out and then to no power or or go buy you know a guide on their own. So you didn't have quite as much help, um, or you had to wait for that kind of external help. But anyway, Death Mountain I picked because it is easily the most difficult dungeon of the entire game, and it's the longest and biggest dungeon of the entire game. And I I think that's why I decided to put it here, because any of the aspects of other dungeons are going to be found in Death Mountain. Uh, It it really tests you to your limits and um, culminates in the final boss battle with Ganon, uh, who can only be killed with these silver arrows. Now, I'm trying to remember if, you know, Death Mountain, which is, what, level 9, actually? Because I think you, you do the first... Yeah, you do eight levels and then you go to death mountain and trying to remember if death mountain is, uh, has, you know, like an actual dungeon item. I know that there's some recurring, uh, mini bosses. I do remember that. Um, yeah, the silver arrows are okay. So the silver arrow that you used to kill cannon is in death mountain. I wasn't sure. Um, and, I, and the Red Ring is also in there. So it's it's very difficult. In fact, the entrance itself for uh, Death Mountain uh, is also kind of hard to get. You have to bomb Spectacle Rock to get there. So it's not as obvious as most of the other dungeons. Um, however, I guess that does mean that you can get to it pretty early. So um, it, it is one of the only... Um, final dungeons in the series that has two main items that link can collect. And also, you know, one of those being the red ring, which further upgrades Link's uh, tunic so that he can cut damage in half, um, which, you know, is halved already from the blue ring. So that's, that's a quarter. So it's a good upgrade. You want to get that and then the silver arrow, which you cannot kill Ganon without. So, um, I'm not really sure what else there is to say about it. Uh, Like I said, there are multiple uh, uh, mini-bosses in this. I know that Patra was in this. Uh, It's been a little while since I played it, but I remember it was quite a challenge. It was very difficult. Um, I just said the same thing twice. I know I'm kind of rambling here. I don't have my co host so you're gonna have to bear with me, all right? It would be kind of nice to have my dad on that, I guess. That would be kind of cool. But um, yeah, Death Mountain, The Legend of Zelda, um, honestly, if you want to kind of get a feel for that, and you haven't played it, um, and you don't want to have to go through the entire game to get there, because it's difficult, you know what I mean? Especially the fucking, uh, uh, the fucking Dark Nuts in the game. Those are ridiculous. Um, yeah, if you don't want to go through it, just, just watch a playthrough, and you can kind of get a sense for that. Uh, starting at our number nine, we have the Tower of Spirits from Spirit Tracks. Uh, I don't have a lot of the portable titles on here, Most, mostly uh, what I consider the main series title, the uh, the console titles, but um, Tower of Spirits is a big one because um, I, I kind of tie in Temple of the Ocean King as well, but I decided it was going to be one or the other, and Tower of Spirits is objectively superior because with uh, Temple of the Ocean King, you have to constantly... Uh, backtrack through areas you've already gone before and it's just unnecessary because a lot of the puzzles have already been solved and then some of them you have to redo and it's it's annoying and there's a timer and and it's just really really difficult tower of spirits bypasses that um, you can go all the way up now and i don't think that there was a time limit in tower of spirits either if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong it's been a, it's been a minute since i played that one too a lot of this i'm going by memory because zelda is something you know that i've played extensively so a lot of these i can do by memory um, but some of them are a little a little out of grasp, but uh, Tower of Spirits is also the part of the game in Spirit Tracks where you play as Zelda in the phantom armor. So Z- Zelda can possess different phantoms that have different abilities. Um, in both Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks on the DS, uh, they both have that one recurring dungeon that you keep going back to in between your other dungeons. And that was definitely the highlight. Going back to the Tower of Spirits was always fun exploring more of it. And like I said, unlike the Temple of the Ocean King, you can actually skip parts that you've already done before. you just access that spiral staircase. and it is kind of cool going up the entire thing, you know as you get later and later in the game. Uh, and, and there's lots to be done in it. and there's lots of different segments. It utilizes items and other dungeons. Again, kind of like our last pick, it utilizes a lot of the uh, puzzles and items that you and techniques that you find and enemies that you find in you know all the other dungeons in the game So it's kind of a blast um, The Tower of Spirits is also where the the spirit train kind of disembarks. So um, it's a good um, It's a good corner of all the aspects of spirit tracks uh, and, and oftentimes spirit tracks and Phantom Glass are kind of overlooked. Um, I like them I think that they're great games and I definitely felt the Zelda experience with them. Is it as great as the console games? Of course not. But it's pretty, pretty damn close. Um, and then the phantom abilities, you know, playing as Zelda was re- were really, really cool. I like using each unique phantom power. I remember there was the, the wrecker phantom, and there was the one that, that teleported. Uh, there's the, the one that had the, it's it called a torch phantom or something. There's one that uh, you could use, you know, to light areas. Um, but yeah, that's it. The tower of spirits, uh, one of the more unique dungeon experiences in Zelda. And, uh, if you haven't played spirit tracks, I actually recommend it. It's a, it's a great little game and it won't take you too long to get through and you still have a lot of Zelda. Um, I guess there's not much of an overworld cause it's all played by train, but it's, it's really not a big deal. It's kind of like wind waker in that aspect. Um, Well, Phantom Hourglass is kind of like Wind Waker and Spirit Tracks is like Phantom Hourglass. So (laughs) there you go. Um, I also, of course, recommend the Temple of the Ocean King. Um, I I mentioned, you know, I'll go ahead and mention that as well. Those kind of go hand in hand. Um, But I didn't want to put them both on the list. So the next, our number eight is going to be another tower, the Eagle's Tower, Link's Awakening. I thought this was appropriate. I've been playing a lot of Link's Awakening on the Nintendo Switch lately and, we're gonna talk about it later, but Eagles Tower. I had to think about which game in links which dungeon in Link's Awakening was my favorite. Um, you know, I could have gone for the Color Dungeon as well, um, but no, Eagles Tower. I think is the is the coolest one. What I like about this dungeon is that you have the uh, you have a wrecking ball in it. Um, I guess it's like a wrecking ball. And there's there are several and what you literally do is you throw the wrecking balls at the pillars to collapse the dungeon down by a level um, I think you do it a, a couple times and there's a few different pillars to do it and I did play this somewhat recently actually but even that's kind of slipping with all the games we've played lately but um, that's it's a lot of fun and uh, it's a great. Uh, it kind of, a, it's a good example of the kind of uh, dungeon gameplay that you have in Link's Awakening as a whole. Um, the dungeon item for Eagle's Tower is the the Mirror Shield, which is an iconic recurring item in a lot of Zelda games. Uh, the Mirror Shield is definitely actually a lot of fun as an item. In this case, uh, in the the Switch version, not in the original in the Deluxe version. Uh, it's not even an item that you equip in the original, though it is, which is kind of cumbersome. Actually, I'm glad that they fixed that. Um, but they were working with what they had on the uh, Game Boy. But um, the mirror shield doesn't have a lot of the light refract- reflecting capabilities that you see in the 3D Zeldas, but it is able to reflect any enemy projectile in the game, which makes it extraordinarily useful. And there are some puzzles that re- you know revolve around the uh, revolver on fire and and not and being able to cross that using the mirror shield uh the boss is the evil eagle um which you'll find at the summit of the tower so that's a lot of fun there's a lot of the uh rocks feather uh jumping around i remember in the eagles tower as well um and then that just that whole central mechanic of bringing the entire thing down um i always thought was just super cool so uh yeah number eight goes to the eagles tower And we will talk about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, specifically the Switch version, uh, here in just a bit. Number seven, Thieves' Hideout in A Link Between Worlds. Not to be confused with Thieves' Town in A Link to the Past, although they are very similar and they have a similar aesthetic. Um, In a lot of the same way that Rule has a similar aesthetic to... The dark world and a link between worlds is very very similar to a link to the past if you're not familiar with it um, it was a ha- it was a game on the 3ds It uses the same overworld as a link to the past and a lot of the dungeons are very very similar um, the only difference being that a lot of the dungeons can be completed in different orders and you have this system of renting items and most of the items that you can use in the game can all be rented from the beginning so, And you actually use those items in, in the dungeons. Most of the item, dungeons still revolve around certain items, but I don't think Thieves' Hideout did. Um, now, I know that you do get the Master Ore uh, in the Thieves' Hideout, which is used to upgrade the Master Sword. Um, and I believe after completing the Thieves' Hideout, you do get the Sand Rod. It's the one item that you can't rent from the beginning um, because one of the Sages, Osvala, has it. Um, the boss in Thieves Hideout is Stalblind, uh, who is uh, actually very similar to Blind the Thief in the Thieves Town um, in in uh, a Link to the Past. You know, I wonder if I would have put Thieves Town in here, but I haven't. I don't think I've actually played it. I played quite a bit through a Link to the Past, but I never got that far um, as as Thieves Town. So. But a uh, link between worlds is, is definitely, uh, like I said, very similar. The only difference being the merging mechanics uh, where you you know merge into the walls and then also the, uh, the renting items. And what I really like about this dungeon in particular um, is the use of the thief girl. Um, it's kind of similar to the use of cafe in Majora's mask, uh, if you're familiar with that, but the thief girl allow, uh, works with link for with on certain puzzles. Um, there's also, um, well, yeah, the puzzles are, are really cool. There's, like, floor switches that you have to activate at the same time. And uh, there's some uh, conveyor belt puzzles and stuff. Yeah, very similar to that one little side mission with Cafe and Majora's Mask. And, and entering the Theus Hideout is cool as well because you have to complete the lyrics for uh, the Password song. And that's kind of cool because you have to gather it from the people in town, so... But yeah, Thieves Hideout is a very unique dungeon in a very unique Zelda game. And uh, I definitely felt that it should have been included for that reason. So coming up on number six, Ocarina of Time definitely needed to make it into here. Um, you know, Ocarina of Time is still one of the greatest games of all time, I will say. And it still is... Um, you know, it's a very foundational Zelda, but it's just not high on the list for me, because I think that every game that came after Ocarina of Time that uses that formula actually built off of it, and and in a way is actually better. But you have to respect Ocarina of Time for being, you know, that one game, and for so long being, you know, the best Zelda game. I think only rivaled, you know, now with Breath of the Wild, but. It was kind of difficult. I've played it through Ocarina of Time so many times. So I'm very familiar with all the dungeons. Um, And honestly, almost any of them could have been here besides, you know, the water temple, I guess. (laughs) You know, I didn't actually mind the water temple too bad, but uh, I didn't have as much of a difficult time with it. But the spirit temple, I think, was the most interesting because you play part of it as a child and part of it as an adult. So it's kind of the one uh, temple in the game that makes use of both which is the central mechanic in Ocarina of Time. Um, the uh, and then there's two basically two items that you use extensively. Well, like a lot of Zelda games, there's an item that you use to get in, which is the silver gauntlets. Um, and then there is the mirror shield once again. And so what I really like about this one is in addition to, you know, like I said the mechanic where you play part of it as a child and part of it as an adult, most of it as an adult I should say. Um there are a lot of those light puzzles, and those are a lot of fun. Reminds me of you know the uh, Prisoner of Azkaban puzzles and the the console versions of Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, but obviously, this came first, and a lot of those puzzles are also in uh, Majora's Mask. Um, hint, hint. That will be discussed later. Um, yeah, I just remember the Spirit Temple is is one of my more favorite. I like I love the puzzles in it. Um, the mini boss the Iron Knuckle is truly a challenge especially the first time you play and of course if you just get naira's love and just go kamikaze on it that's fine <laughs> i think I, I picked that up from a walkthrough i was like oh shit that makes it so much easier but a formidable phone nonetheless um, especially when you don't know what you're doing and you really have to make use of your l targeting and, and your sidestep techniques and just and it's it's a hard boss you keep going at it and going at it. a lot of jump attacks and and then the boss of the dungeon the boss boss uh, twin rova Sorceress sisters, Koume and Kotake, Um, they're a lot of fun. It's a two-phase boss battle, so you fight them both separately using the mirror shield to to reflect fire onto the ice sister and ice onto the fire sister, and then they merge into one and you have to use kind of the same mechanics to take them down. So a cool dungeon and a cool boss and a cool game. Uh, And it definitely has a really cool aesthetic. I like the images of that desert goddess. We actually don't know who she is. Um, interestingly enough, there's not really any more information on that. Um, maybe the goddess goddess or, you know, Hylia, or I think more likely, you know, some kind of goddess that's more unique to the Gerudo people who are, you know, somewhat isolated from the rest. But, um, of course in Breath of the Wild, they have goddess worship in Gerudo town. So I don't know, but, um, yeah, the spirit temple is a lot of fun. It's one of the more. I think, iconic dungeons in the Zelda series. Really, that applies to pretty much any of the dungeons in Ocarina of Time. I should say Forest Temple could have really made the list here. That's a really fun dungeon. Uh, Shadow Temple would if it wasn't so unorthodox. Um, Of course, a lot of the dungeons on this list, I think, are going to be somewhat unorthodox. I'm going to put dungeons that really more um, caught my attention enough that, you know, I would remember them years later, even if I haven't played in a while, but... Spirit Temple still kind of meets that requirement. And I think it's, it's a good representation of all of the dungeons. It's the last main dungeon before you get to, of course, I think you can play it before you get to the Shadow Temple if you want. But the intended order is, this is last um, before you go to Ganon's Castle. So, or I think Ganon's Tower is the actual dungeon name. Um, I will say it's not often that I'm going to have a final dungeon be on my list. Um, if at all on this list i'm trying to think but um, final tensions are just so much more weird i did like cannon's tower and windmaker though That really could have made the list um, but um but yeah no spirit temple mirror shield twin rova it's, it's a lot of fun and, and i love a lot of the mechanics in this particular dungeon it really again makes use of a lot of what's come before in the game. So you really have to master the techniques and then items and puzzles that you've used throughout the game. So that's why, I think that's why this one excels. So coming up on number five, the Temple of Time in Twilight Princess. Um, you know, and this one's easy for me. When I think about, obviously, I'm going to have to have um, a particular dungeon from each Zelda game. I kind of try to, you know, bounce it out like that because in truth, you know, otherwise I may have a lot of dungeons from one particular game or two particular games. So I didn't, you know, I wanted to make sure not to, to do that. And, um, and that's for the better because we want a representation of the series as a whole. But anyway, uh, this I think still would make my list regardless because it's just such a fun dungeon. I love the aesthetic. I love the, um, it doesn't... I don't want to say time travel mechanic because it's not a mechanic, but the entire thing takes place in like kind of this frozen time. And that's really cool. I think the only thing that would have made it cooler would have been if, uh, if, if there was kind of a time travel mechanic, there needs to be a Zelda dungeon that does that. I mean, Majora's mask as a whole uses it, but, um, tower of the gods from windmaker bears a lot of similarity to this as well. But, um, but or I guess this bears a similarity to Tower of the Gods. <laughs> Tower of the Gods really could have made the list as well. Um, but I like the Temple of Time because of I think it has a, a heavier emphasis on puzzle solving. And you'll see that a lot for me. The dungeons that really stand out to me are the ones that, that do um, have an emphasis on puzzle solving. So I, I feel like this did more so than a lot of the other uh, dungeons in Twilight Princess. I got to say Goron Mines could have really made the list as well because that's just a very solid dungeon and I love the, the magnetism mechanic in that one but um, when I think about it uh, Temple of Time was cooler and again it features the Dark Knight, a very similar enemy to the Iron Knuckle and really they're kind of interchangeable um, <laughs> so that's really and it's the again, it, it's the mini boss of the dungeon it's the first one you face and it's a tough battle the first time you do it there's no shortcut this way, you can't use uh, invulnerability, I mean I guess you could use the magic armor but it's still going to be a tough fight nonetheless. And you have to make use of a lot of the hidden skills in order to take it down. But once you do, you get access to the Dominion Rod. Um, one of the coolest items in the game, Twilight Princess had a lot of cool items. The Spinner, the Dominion Rod, um, just to name a couple there. But uh, the yeah, the Dominion Rod is really cool because it allows you to take uh, control of statues. And some of them you can move around with you. And y- you make use of that. Uh, there's a lot of weight puzzles as well in this one um and then the boss is armogama uh or goma goma gama i guess i'll have to look at the uh the kana here and see what uh what what that is let me see it's goma yeah goma well i should have remembered from cdi right that's a goma you're pretty good (laughs) but anyway our armogoma um, is, uh, actually kind of more of a traditional spider than other Gomas looks straight up like a tarantula, but it's got a, a uh, an eye in the center like Gomas do. And it shoots lasers and shit. <laughs> and you actually do use the dominion rod. I remember getting it and thinking, how am I going to fight the boss with this? Cause per usual in Zelda games, most of the time, the formula is you use the item, you know, the, the dungeon item to defeat the boss. And you actually do use the Dominion Rod to defeat uh, Armogoma. Um, once you get Armogoma on the floor, then you can quickly take possession of a statue and slam it down. Um, and that's a lot of fun. It's very satisfying. And one of the coolest parts is after you defeat Armogoma, or seemingly so, um, there's a final stage to it. Um, you find out that Armogoma's true form, which is that that eye that you were shooting at with the bow to bring it down, is actually it's spider itself. And so you have to find it around and just slash it. It's not hard, but that's really, it's really fun (laughs) in that aspect. Um, because it's just kind of that little surprise there. And, and and this is kind of a scary boss for me because spiders terrify me. And unlike other Gomas, this one legitimately looks like a spider. So it's kind of freaky, but, (laughs) um, I also love the aesthetic of the temple of time quite a bit. Um, again, same kind of aesthetic that's in the tower of the gods, um, it has a trial feel to it, and there's a lot of death traps in this one in particular, and you've got those weights and everything. and um, like I said, just kind of being that having that whole back in time snapshot is really cool, and i and I really enjoy it. So temple of time is gonna be definitely on my list of favorite Zelda dungeons. I'm sorry, I keep on having to turn around because my phone's charging. you know, I can pull it out now, all right, so. Number five, or no, that was number five. My bad. Number four, Forsaken Fortress, the Wind Waker. Um, the Wind Waker actually has so many great dungeons. It was hard to pick one. Like I said, um, I really, if I had thought about it when I was doing this list, I might have done Tower of the Gods. Um, Dragon Roost Cavern really, really was close for me. I love the Dragon Roost Cavern. I mean, there's just kind of a feel. In that one. Even though it's the first dungeon, it's an excellent first dungeon. Uh, And you don't see that a lot in a lot of Zeldas. A lot of the times the first dungeon's kind of, it's nothing spectacular. It's the first dungeon. But Dragon Roost Cavern actually really stands out uh, in the game as a whole. But Forsaken Fortress I had to choose because um, the first time you visit it, it's actually kind of, I guess it actually, the Forsaken Fortress is the first dungeon if you think about it. But you only access maybe half of it. It's more like a mini dungeon the first time you come. But Lincoln actually is without his sword. So there's a stealth segment. You have to go around the Forsaken Fortress and turn off the spotlights and then make your way up, and then you get your sword um, and fight. I guess you fight this Bacoblin who kind of serves as a mini-boss. There's no actual boss. That's why I said the first time you fight it, it's you know go through the Forsaken Fortress. It's not a real dungeon. But um, later on, you come back after accomplishing what was basically your, your main goal. After, after the, this is right after the Tower of the Gods, actually. And, um, you come back to go rescue your sister. So you get revenge. It's really cool. You kind of go through the same areas that you did the first time, but now you have your sword with you. Um, so you don't have to be as crazy about stealth. If you get caught, you just fight the enemies, but the stealth approach is still nice. Uh, the dungeon item for this one, and this only happens when you come across it the second time is the skull hammer. I mean, I guess you could say the hero sword is an item the first time around, but yeah, the Skull Hammer is the official dungeon item. Uh, and Wind Waker uses the hammer to pound switches. It's kind of interesting. I mean, uh, Ocarina of Time did that as well, but uh, I remember the, the switches in the Wind Waker and, and the hammer aesthetic were really cool. I like that it's a Skull Hammer, and it's huge. I mean, it just dwarfs Link. So it's a fun item to use, and it's actually a, a good weapon. It's one of the few items in game you know, that is actually... Also, a formidable weapon. Uh, the boss of this is the Helmarok King, and it's super satisfying because you hate that bird. It tossed you into the ocean at one point. You get to slam down into a hammer and then you know, strike it with your sword a bunch of times. That's a really fun boss battle. I remember doing that. Um, there, the dungeons and the bosses in Wind Waker just are really, really top-notch mm-hmm. overall. And there aren't that many dungeons in Wind Waker. I think maybe there's only like seven, and they're all like really, really top-notch, and they're long dungeons. So uh, there would be so many to choose from. I mean, literally every dungeon in Wind Waker is a winner. Uh, between Dragon Roost Cavern, the what's the Forbidden Woods, Tower of the Gods, Forsaken Fortress, the Earth and Wind Temples, they're all great. But Forsaken Fortress for me really, and then Ganon's Tower, of course, at the end. But Forsaken Fortress for me really had was the one that I think I thought of because um, it is technically the first dungeon, there is that stealth segment, and uh, the, the the dungeon item is cool. Revisiting the dungeon, getting revenge, is a really nice feeling, and um, it, it's also a dungeon that is easy, you know, easily accessible later. It, I mean, it's its own island, so it's the one dungeon I think that's like that. I mean, there's an argument to be made that the Earth and Wind Temples are kind of the same way, and the Forbidden Woods is kind of its own island within the Forest Haven area but anyway (laughs) i digress so that's number four forsaken fortress uh we're getting close here we're coming at number three uh and this is going to be maybe a little controversial but to have uh this game come up so fat close to the end but this is a dungeon from skyward sword and hands down i would be able to tell you right off the bat if you asked me what's your favorite dungeon from skyward sword because it's one of my favorite dungeons of all time and that is the sand ship uh the laneru mining facility could have come here because it also has the, the um, time stone mechanics. And see, I faked you out there. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if there, was a, if there was a Zelda dungeon that had a time mechanic? Boom, right here. This is the time travel mechanic. I fooled y'all. I fooled y'all. Um, so yeah, no, the sand ship is, is actually, I think, my favorite, because it's a pirate ship. Um, I think I preferred a little bit more to the Lanayru mining facility because um, of the, the idea. Uh, I think it, it, it's a little more focused on puzzle-solving, Um, the layout of it, the whole entire thing is cool. Um, the boss battle is a little underwhelming, but the aesthetic of the boss battle is really, really cool because the entire ship gets wrecked apart while you do it. And I like the mechanic of continuing to go back out and strike the mast with your bow. The dungeon item in the sand ship is the bow. I remember that. Um, (laughs) and, uh, that's long overdue in the game. By the time you get it, it's like you're almost all the way through the game and you still don't have a bow, (laughs) but you finally get it. It's used to strike the time stone on the mast. So there's a lot of segments of the game where you just kind of go back to that. Um, There's different holes in the ship or coming outside for a second where you can strike that and switching back and forth. Kind of to go into detail about the time stone mechanics is that um, when you strike a time stone, it brings the uh, area that you're in um, kind of back into uh, its state back in time. In fact, the time stone, I believe, is actually tied into the power of the Master Sword. But um, in this particular case, unlike Linera Mining Facility, that actually includes the entire dungeon. When you strike that one time stone on the mast, um, it, it turns the entire ship alive. You have a crew of ancient robots um, and a lot of really cool technology-based enemies. And you've got Beamos and and the like and um you know the whole thing just kind of turns alive it's a sand ship because it's an actual pirate ship in a in a sand sea but um when you activate the time stone it's a sea of water in fact getting there you actually have to use a little boat that has a time stone on it where you you go through the sea of sand but as you're driving forward in your little you know circle it's a it's a sea. So, you know, getting to the dungeon is also a really, really cool process, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and like I said, this is definitely one of my favorite. Another dungeon I should mention that I really liked from Skyward Sword was the Ancient Cistern. That really could have made it because I love the aesthetic of that dungeon. I love the boss. Uh, Colloctos is actually one of my favorite bosses of all time. But um, Sandship really just had to take priority because the dungeon as a whole... As I said before, the dungeon boss Tentalus is kind of underwhelming. I mean, even the name is really lame. Tentalus. What? It's a tentacle monster. Um, Again, with a giant eye. Ooh, so many giant eyes in Zelda. (laughs) It's just one of those like tropes. It's like, why why do so many bosses have obvious eyes? You know, it's like a cyclops type monster and you shoot it in the eye. Um, and, And the boss battle itself isn't particularly like... Crazy or anything. You just kind of slash the tentacles right away and you hit, use the bow to strike the eye. Um, nothing special, I should say, because, um, it, you know, that's just kind of a, a regular mechanic. Um, and once you strike it in the eye, then you strike it with your sword a bunch of times. And it's also kind of frustrating, um, unnecessarily so. But I got to say, the entrance for that boss fight and the aesthetic of that boss fight is really, really cool. I like the feeling of, you know, as soon as you do get the. Uh, I think this was the one that didn't actually use one of those little statue things, but it, it was like a a captain's key or something to get into the captain's quarters. But as soon as you get it, the boss actually attacks. So you're not going to the boss room. The boss finds you. And suddenly there's all these tentacles all over the ship and you have to make it all the way back up to the deck. And then you fight Tentalus, um, which is, which is. You know, up until you actually fight the boss is a really, 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 really cool moment. But I really enjoyed it. The Sand Ship is definitely among my favorites. Obviously, it made number three. So if y'all have listened to the podcast, y'all know what my two favorite Zelda games are. So, of course, my two favorite Zelda dungeons, like I said, the the meat and potatoes of a Zelda game, um, are going to be at the top You know, of, of this list. Um, so I'm going to go with number two, uh, Breath of the Wilds. Um, Divine Beast Va-Naboris. All the Divine Beasts in Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild are kind of very similar. Um, The only underwhelming thing about it is that the aesthetic is actually completely the same in all of them. But um, I hope in the Breath of the Wild sequel they kind of add a little bit more variety there. Because even the the shrines in the game all had the same aesthetic. But um, I had to think about it. It was hard. Because I like all of them. Va-Meadow, Va-Ruta, Va-Rudania, but... When I kept thinking about it, Naboris was definitely the most challenging dungeon. And thinking about the central mechanic of each divine beast, I think this one was kind of the coolest. Because in addition to turning the, the mechanics, it also had, you know, the ele- electricity puzzle. I got to say Varuta probably would have been my second because it uses, you know, the water mechanic. It's an actually good water dungeon for once. Um, I know water dungeons are actually notorious. But, um, you yeah, know, Naborus I think really because of the electricity puzzles. And um, one thing about the divine beast, if you don't know, and if you didn't listen to our episode is, or if you forgot is that each uh, divine beast, instead of having a dungeon item, that there's a a mechanic where you actually manipulate pieces of the beast yourself. Um, You actually have to go to the map and change some things. So like Va Meadow, you turn the, it's a bird in the sky. You turn the wings and Ruta is an elephant. So you lift its trunk and it pours water down uh, onto things and then uh Valrudena actually flips sideways not unlike a, the forest temple I should say but um, Vandaboris is a camel and you actually turn the mid sections around um, and, and like I said there's like these kind of conduits and so when you you manipulate the mid sections in different ways it activates different puzzles and I just remember that was the one that really stumped me the most. It's also the most frustrating dungeon and uh, the uh, boss of the dungeon, Thunder Blight Ganon, is definitely the toughest of the of the the Blight Ganons of the Divine Beast bosses. um Hyrule Castle is the other dungeon in Breath of the Wild, and again, I think because it's a final dungeon and a lot of what makes the Divine Beast so cool is why it didn't make the list, but it should be mentioned. I mean, it's the biggest dungeon of the game, and there's a lot of really cool stuff, but. You can also skip most of it and just go straight to Ganon. So it's, it's not that interesting. <laughs> You're not forced to actually explore it. Uh, Boris, you are. And that's not to say that there aren't extras. There are some chests with some other things. But um, the Divine Beasts as a whole are, are just really cool dungeons. If they just had a little bit more variety, I think they would have been better. I think there's a couple things that if Breath of the Wild had done would definitely make it my top you know, number one Zelda game as it is. It's, it's tied with that over Majora's mask right now, but, um, hopefully the sequel can implement some things. And i talked about what I think would be my perfect Zelda game. And I'll probably mention it again on our next Zelda episode, but yeah, no, th- uh, uh, Boris, uh, I think was, was the most interesting divine beast in, uh, Breath of the Wild and, and I think there's a general consensus that it's, it's the most difficult uh, and Thunderblight Cannon is the most frustrating and difficult boss um, I'm not sure what else there is to say about it I mean we talked a lot about Breath of the Wild in our episode on it so listen to that if you haven't already and starting you know, with our number one or sorry ending with our number one moving on to our number one you know drum roll or whatever um, should, this should be no surprise to you all, but it is a Majora's Mask dungeon. I think that there's one dungeon that is clearly the best of the Majora's Mask dungeons. Uh, and that is the Stone Tower Temple. Um, the water dungeon in, in Majora's Mask actually isn't too bad, which is the, uh, the Great Bay Temple, uh, Woodfall, and uh, what's, what's the mountain? Uh, Snow Snowhead? Is it Snowhead or Snowpeak? One of them is in Twilight Princess. I think it's Snowhead. Uh, Temple are, are both really cool, but Stone Tower definitely takes the um, the cake. You use all of the transformations in the game. So Link's Deku form, his, or, or Deku, Deku, I don't know. His Deku form, I think if you look at the Japanese at the Kana, it's definitely Deku. Sorry. Deku form, Goron form, Zora form, and his human form are all used in conjunction, um, which makes uh, this You know, that one dungeon, like so many others, that combines aspects of all of the puzzles that you've played in the game and combines using all of the items that you've used in the game, which the dungeon items in Majora's Mask are all related to the bow. You have the bow, and then you have the fire arrows, and then the ice arrows, and in this dungeon, you make use of the light arrows, but there's definitely making use of those others as well. It also makes effective use of the mirror shield, which you get in the mini-dungeon just preceding Stone Tower Temple, um, which... I can't remember what it's called. It's not the Stone Tower itself, I don't think. But... uh, The Stone Tower actually is really cool, too, getting up to the Stone Tower Temple. But the coolest mechanic about the Stone Tower Temple is the fact that you can turn the entire dungeon upside down. Um, And in the original version, you actually have to physically exit the dungeon and strike a diamond to do it. And I want to say in the 3DS version, they changed it to make it a little bit easier, but I can't quite remember. Um, We're going to be playing a lot of Majora's mask lately. So we'll have to get back to you guys on that when we do the episode. Um, Spoiler alert. We are going to be talking about Majora's mask uh, next season. It's our next Zelda game. Well, it should be no surprise because we did a poll on breath between breath of the wild and Majora's mask and breath of the wild was picked. So obviously Majora's Mask is going to be what we're doing uh, This upcoming season But um, And I will announce that we'll be starting off with it I'm not going to mention that anywhere else Until our finale so If you're listening you got a little sneak peek there But anyway Stone Tower Temple um, That whole mechanic Of turning the entire thing upside down And having to go in and out of the dungeon To do it definitely makes it uh, One of the more interesting dungeons um, in a way it's kind of similar to the forest temple, but I think it takes it to just a whole other level. Um, a lot of the puzzles are really unique in that aspect. And not only that, but it is the only dungeon in the entire game where you can make use of the giant's mask or the only area in the game is in the boss battle versus twin mold. Um, which again is a really fun boss battle because it makes effective use of the giant's mask. I do remember that in the 3ds version, The mechanic has changed, and Link, instead of being able to use his sword like he does when he's normal form using the Giant's Mask, he actually kind of just swings it around uh, Super Mario 64 style. (laughs) Either way, the boss battle with Twin Mold is really, really cool uh, in both versions. And making use of the Giant's Mask definitely makes the boss battle a lot more interesting. It's not required, actually, Um, or at least in the original it isn't. I want to say in the 3DS version, I think it may have been but I'm not 100% sure on that. But Stone Tower Temple is by far, and I think this is general consensus as well, by far the best dungeon in Majora's Mask. Um, The Moon Dungeon is actually kind of cool too. Part of me wants to gravitate towards that, but it's not a real dungeon. It's like four mini dungeons, but it has the coolest boss battle, I guess, in the game, which is Majora, Um, the three different versions of it. But uh, Stone Tower Temple's Twin Mold is an awesome boss battle because like... Majora, it's the one area in the game where you get to use a certain mask, and uh, and, it, and it just makes the boss battle so much more interesting when you do. Um, I remember playing it in both versions uh, and really, really enjoying the Stone Tower Temple and the Twin Mold boss battle uh, and the light arrows. Um, so you know, like I said, there's a lot of those light puzzles, and using that actually in conjunction with the mirror shield makes it really, really, really interesting. So, <laughs> and like I said, combining aspects of all the forms. That in you know, all the, the transformation masks that Link uses in the game uh, makes the, the Stone Tower Temple. You know, just that, that definitive dungeon in the game that tests all of your knowledge before. Um, I guess the moon does that as well. But um, yeah, Stone Tower. And it has such a cool theme. And it, it's also kind of a creepy aesthetic, which is just perfectly representative of Majora's Mask. So uh, Stone Tower Temple, be prepared to, to turn back time and start over on day one. You know, on a lot of the dungeons, I tend to do that because you get to a save point, and so I just go ahead and do it. Give it myself. Sometimes I don't, but Stone Tower Temple, you have to. Um, I think you really need a full three day cycle, unless you know you've played the dungeon a lot and you want to go through it. But you know, usually it's it's been a while since I've played Majora's Mask, so I kind of have to remind myself. You know, I think as a whole, I've played through big sections of Majora's Mask many, many, many times, but the Stone Tower Temple I may have only done, what, maybe a grand total of three times, if that. So, um, yeah, I think like like three times I, I may have actually beat the entire thing. So, it's still, it's still nice. It's kind of like exploring the dungeon. It's such a long and big dungeon. It's, I think, the longest of all of them, although Majora's Mask does have long dungeons overall because there's not that many of them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's my number one um, it would have been interesting to hear what Dakota had to say cause he's played a lot of Zelda games, but, um, I just went ahead and put my number, my 10 favorites. And I feel like that's good for me cause I love Zelda. So we're going to do our random game review now after a short break. Um, some of y'all might be a little skeptic about that cause usually the random game review is tied to what we're doing the, uh, the list on. Um, but rest assured it's reverse engineered. I choose a random game that I want to talk about. And then I reverse engineer my list to suit it usually, <laughs> but I knew at some point actually we were going to do um, a top five or 10 list, you know, in regards to Zelda and then a Zelda game. So um, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the legend of Zelda links awakening um, specifically the switch version. Um, I actually wanted to do an episode on this, like a full episode as like a bonus episode. Cause it just came out. Um, but you know, we were planning on not doing a Zelda game this season because we did two last season. And and then we just ran out of time. There was nowhere to throw it in anywhere. So I think this is definitely going to be the better approach is to just go ahead and talk about it on bonus round uh, and really get into it. So I've been playing a lot of it actually all season. I started, I picked it up again just now and kind of got through it. Um, I haven't actually beat it all the way through. So uh, it's going to be interesting, but I'm I'm like very, very, very close to the end. So I'll have a lot to talk about. So anyway... Stay tuned, guys. We're going to talk about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening in just a bit.
1: Hello, Collateral
0: Gaming listeners. Chazzle Dazzle here from the Trial by Air Variety Show podcast. I just wanted to take a few seconds to invite you guys over to what we do. No, it's not video games, but we do invite really awesome and unique bands from all over the world. We dig deep into their souls and find really cool stories to tell you. And there's tons of music every week. So subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We look forward to having you.
1: Enter this island of mystery at your own risk. You may never leave. The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening. No one, not even Link, knows why he washed ashore Koholint Island. Here, you'll find verdant villages, sandy beaches, one mysterious forest, a swamp, a desert, and a royal castle. The inhabitants dotting the island are as distinct and varied as the scenery itself. Indeed, some are pretty (laughs) out there, to say the least. Legend has it that no one can leave the island, not even Link. Can he possibly escape? Can he cut his own path to the truth, or will it remain undiscovered? You'll have the right tools for the job, only a sword at first, but as you explore, you'll discover magical items, granting you powerful abilities. You'll lift heavy objects with destructive force, dash faster than before, leap great distances, and swim effortlessly. The more items you acquire, the more power at your disposal, and the more secrets you'll unearth in every nook and cranny of this labyrinthine island. Travel great distances to locate the dungeons scattered across Koholet. Use your wits and your wisdom to solve treacherous puzzles. And cast down an endless barrage of misguided monsters. The power you need to overcome these trials lies deep within you. If all else fails, you could always ram something with your sword. You never know where you'll find a secret seashell or a well-hidden piece of heart. From hidden caves to underground dungeons, you'll find that the island is much more than it seems. To navigate its surprising twists and clever turns, you'll need to make your own miracles come true. Along the way, there's plenty of time for fishing, profitable rafting trips, a trendy game of claw crane You'd be amazed to see what's in store for you in each minigame. And then there's the all-new Chamber Dungeon. Each one of these maps is a puzzle in its own right. Place chambers earned on your adventure to arrange dungeons based on a variety of themes. You may acquire an item that could come in handy on your grand journey to seek the truth. Coughlin Island is nowhere to be found, and yet somehow it does exist. The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening.
0: All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to talk about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, uh, specifically the remake on the Nintendo Switch, which mysteriously is called uh, the same thing. Uh, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Unlike the remake uh, or or port that came over to uh, the uh, Game Boy Color, which is called Link's Awakening DX, this is just Link's Awakening, so it was kind of a spin for us. Um, But it does incorporate aspects of DX. It has the color dungeon and um, obviously color, which the original lacked, and I think a couple of other things it does not include all of the uh the, the photography side quest unfortunately which I, I kind of uh, I kind of missed a little bit actually cuz I remember playing I did play the DX version I played it on virtual console um on my uh on my 3DS uh not so so long ago um maybe it was on my DS I think it was on the 3DS but uh, Link's Awakening is something I have played in the past, and when I heard that it was going to be announced and released on Nintendo Switch, I was of course excited. Um, one thing that was really, really cool was the aesthetic of it. Um, there was kind of that intro segment in the beginning that has this anime feel um, that was in the trailer, and that's here in the uh, at the beginning of the game itself, um, which I believe in the original game was just kind of still images. They had a fully animated. Like I said, very anime intro, but then the rest of the game kind of has this um, doll-like feel, which really fits in with uh, Link's Awakening. I guess we're not going to go into spoilers here um, <laughs> and really reveal, of course, I think everybody knows the whole story behind Koholan Island and what it really is, but it's a very strange island, and it doesn't quite exist in the same realm as Everything else before Um, there's kind of a big plot twist at the end Where um, you find out exactly what Koholan Island is, but there's lots of hints throughout as well And it's kind of interesting piecing together the mystery Uh, One thing about Link's Awakening um, Are there are appearances from Mario enemies and characters, which is really cool and that still is here in the switch version? um, Which the game has been completely remade it has fully 3d graphics um, although it's still played, of course, on the same 2D plane, but um, there's lots of been lots of gameplay tweaks. Um, first and foremost, I mean, the controls are much better because you have more buttons now. You've got a dedicated sword button, a dedicated shield button, dedicated button for the uh, Pegasus boots, and you don't have to have the uh, power bracelet uh, equipped as an item in order to use it. I mean, Link just picks things up because um, there's a dedicated action button. So <laughs> before. Um, in Link's Awakening, which is kind of an oddity for the series, um, you had to have the sword equipped and use the sword. I want to say the Oracle series did it too, maybe? Uh, unless there was a dedicated sword button. I can't quite remember. But um, And then you had your... So you, ha- you only had two items. And normally your sword is mapped and you can't change it. And a lot of the original Zelda games, you know, uh, the original Zelda Link to the Past, that's the case. Um, actually, I'm thinking of the GBA version, but um, maybe, but... You know, you had your sword equipped to one button and then you had one item button. Well, Link's Awakening kind of throws it for a spin and gives you two item buttons. So you can actually not have your sword equipped. And then, um, but it's just so difficult because you don't have, you have to pull your sword out. If you're going to use two items at once, like you wanted to shoot bomb arrows, that's something you could do uh, in the original. This was the first game to incorporate that. You had to have the bow and bomb equipped at the same time. Um, You can't do that if you have your sword equipped. If you wanted to use Pegasus boots, with holding your sword out. Um, You had to, you know what I mean? If you forgot to equip your sword, you wouldn't be able to do that. You had to have your shield equipped. So most of the time, you know, I just didn't make use of the shield because I usually had another item. Thankfully, Link's Awakening takes a big portion of that out. So you have to pause a lot less to switch items. Um, Generally, I think I would keep Rock's Feather (laughs) equipped most of the time. And then, you know, whatever item that I was using, I would, I would swap out when I needed to. So that was really good. Um, also, uh, the, uh, the orchestral arrangements, um, have been completely redone. Um, the, the there's the music obviously is still, um, a lot of it from the original game, uh, but it's been enhanced. Some tracks that were, you know, some areas had shared themes. Those have been rearranged. Um, there's one dungeon in particular, uh, that, uh, they actually did kind of redo the entire thing and then just kind of have the. Uh, the original theme in the background because it was really similar to the the regular cave theme. Um, some of the, the mini games and shops have been changed up a little bit. You can still steal items from the item shop and be labeled thief the rest of the game, <laughs> uh, which is really interesting. But I've never played links awakening. It's a very surreal Zelda game. Uh, and this is no exception. Like I said, I like the whole like doll aesthetic. Um, it's really cool. This is meant to be the same link that's in a link to the past. Um, originally it was also the same link in Oracle of ages and seasons, but that's been changed. Um, now, uh, oracles and ages and seasons are a different link and they take place after links awakening, which I think actually does make a little bit more sense. But some people were like, Oh, well at the end of the Oracle series, he's on a raft. So it's gotta be links awakening. And, you know, people thought the same thing, uh, because fans thought that, you know, Nintendo went ahead and did it, but it was kind of the most flimsy reasoning because, (laughs) Um, there's, there's a lot of other reasons why it doesn't make as much sense to do it that way, but I'm, it's neither here nor there. I'm not here to talk about timeline theory again, like we did on the breath of the wild episode, but, um, links awakening is definitely a fun inventive, um, part of the franchise. I think a lot of times it's overlooked over some of the console games, um, and even some of the more, you know, modern handheld games, but this is what was the original first handheld Zelda and it still holds up. Um, I mean, the core gameplay is still there and the puzzles are still there and the game does come off a little bit childish, but it's okay for a lot of us. It's like revisiting our childhood. Even me, even though I didn't kind of grow up with this, um, when it came out, I, I grew up playing it cause I played all kinds of Zelda games and explored. I never did beat it and I still haven't completely beat this one, but I'm farther now than I've gone before. I'm on level eight. So we finished that and then we, you know, go ahead and go to the wind fish. And yes, I know the, the end of the story. So I'm actually kind of excited about that. But right now I'm kind of going back and trying to collect all the seashells and upgrade my sword and finish, you know, various side quests so that I have the full Zelda experience. Because for me, beating a Zelda game is beating it 100%. <laughs> Getting the 100% completion is important for me. Um, I did play quite a bit before playing, you know, before recording the podcast, just to kind of get a feel for it. Um, like I said, one of my favorite dungeons was the Eagle's tower, but I also like, uh, the color dungeon. Um, I like all of the dungeons in this game. I thought they were all really inventive and fun. Um, and despite the fact that this game is more, seems more family oriented. Um, like I said, there is kind of a a plot twist at the end that actually is kind of dark and it is very, has a very, um, it's a, it's a similar feel somewhat to Majora's Mask, but in kind of a happy, you know, way that kind of makes it all the more deep. Um, because it's it's sad on, on a level that's not made quite apparent on the surface. So it is actually really cool. And it's a deep experience, I think. And it definitely deserves its place. Um, Link's Awakening before was a handheld title, but now it's officially on a console. So... You know, I, I definitely would, would consider this part of the definitive Zelda experience, and I think it belongs, especially being a, sequ- a direct sequel to A Link to the Past, I think it belongs to be mentioned as, you know, big games, you know. <laughs> um, if we were to ever do like a Zelda like TV series or movies, I want to say Link's Awakening would have to be done because it's just really unique. Um, and, and it takes place not in Hyrule but on Caholan Island, so it's kind of a, a different experience in that way. Um, like I said, the Mario enemies and, and characters actually pop up. And there's actually a, a reason behind that. If if you get into the, the mythos, but, um, yeah, definitely. This is, this is a fantastic Zelda game. Um, I want to say this is, this is a definitive, um, not, you know, like, uh, this is, this is a five out of five for me. All Zelda games deserve five out of five pretty much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, obviously, it's not my favorite Zelda game of all of them, but it's it's definitely fantastic. I mean, saying it's not my favorite Zelda game is like saying, well, he's not the best Olympic athlete. <laughs> You're still an Olympic athlete. Um, and I think for a lot of people, this might be some people's favorite just because it's, 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 a, it's a very unique Zelda game and it stands apart. I want to say the Oracle games have some similar vibes to them. But the Oracle games also kind of have their own unique thing that makes them unique. So, this game really stands out. Again, like I said, the first handheld Zelda, and yet in no way was felt superior, you know, inferior, sorry, to um, any of the console Zelda. Somehow, kind of still um, on par with the gameplay scene in uh, Link to the Past. Somehow, they managed to throw it on a tiny little system. And, um, and the graphics aren't that far off, really. Uh, and, and definitely still on par with, you know, Nintendo level graphics from the original Zelda so and zelda 2 um and despite the family orientedness i mean this game has some challenging segments one thing i really liked about the remake is the dungeon maker um going in and being able to create your own dungeons is really cool um you get to take pieces of different rooms the only thing i would like better is if you had just a little bit more freedom um i think that that should be reserved for kind of i think this is a good test of we could totally do a zelda maker like a super mario maker a zelda maker I think that we've got to do it. You've got to be able to make your own dungeons and do it across, you know, several different um, types of, of Zelda aesthetics. So you have like your a Link to the Past style, your Link's Awakening style, your Link's Awakening Remake style, <laughs> your uh, a Link Between Worlds style. Um, I, I think you, you could easily do it, kind of like in Super Mario Maker. So I think this is a good test run of of that. Um, it basically what you do is you just take rooms that are already in other dungeons and kind of throw them together. Um, But there's kind of an intricate system where you have to make sure that there's enough chests to lock doors. So you have keys to unlock the doors and you can throw extra rooms in there where people can get rupees and um, you have to make sure that stairs connect. And um, there's actual challenges that you have to go through to complete. So it gives you a lot more uh, playability even after you complete the main story or in addition to the main story. Uh, anyway, we're running over an hour here on this episode, but it's Zelda. What can I say? I can talk about it forever. Um, as far as the Legend of Zelda: Links Awakening goes, you should definitely play it if you have a Nintendo Switch. Um, I think that this is um, a definitive Switch game. It's a definitive Zelda game, and it's um, it's honestly fantastic. And I-, I can't think of a single person who wouldn't like this because, in, in a sense, it kind of w- it can appeal to casual gamers, um, even though it's it's a Zelda game. Because it's kind of kind of a good transition to hardcore. But it also appeals to hardcore gamers being, you know, again, a Zelda game. So check out The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Um, if you don't have a Nintendo Switch, go ahead and play the, you know, uh, the original version. Or I should say the DX version is, is definitely the objectively superior version um, to the original. Because it, it's the original, plus it has color. And it has um, an additional dungeon. And it has some extra side quests. There's nothing that you're missing you know in the original so you should play uh, the dx version but i think this version you know is the definitive version past that um obviously there are some changes um and like i said the photography side mission didn't make it through but i would still say this is a successful remake and that it really does replace the original version this is the version you should play i mean i not necessarily be able to say the same thing about for instance the 3ds versions of of, uh, the Zelda games Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time because there are some small changes Um, I will say the HD versions of Twilight Princess and Wind Waker are are superb though because they're just they just they're just better versions of the game and this one does change a couple things but the core of it is still there if anything the game is just more playable Um, but go check it out and if you can't check it out at least check out some gameplay footage or, or check out some of the trailers because like I said the art style in this game is really really fun um, and and it's, it's it's actually unique and I really like what they were going for with it um, anyway guys stay tuned uh, I'm going to throw out another bonus round episode before I'm done here um, I don't know if I'm releasing at the same time or if I'll throw this out tonight and then do the other one maybe tomorrow probably that so we're going to be looking forward to some uh, video game recommendations next time from yours truly uh, it's just going to be me again, most likely, Well, I uh, just throw out um, any and all video games that um, I would recommend that we haven't necessarily talked about on the podcast. Um, some of them we may at a later point, but uh, we'll get into that next time. That's going to be another bonus round episode. And then, not long after, we're going to go ahead and release our episode on Tomb Raider, our next numbered episode. So we'll be caught up. Um, we'll have two bonus round episodes out. And a a main series episode, and then we'll be marching forward towards our uh, season finale. We're actually getting closer and closer, so stay tuned, guys. Uh, You can find Collateral Gaming Video Game Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, uh, just to name a few. We are part of the Chill Lover Radio Um, If you're not listening to Collateral Cinema Movie Podcast and their version of Bonus Round, which is Collateral Cinema Director's Cut, check that out as well. Um, I'm a part of Collateral Cinema, and I love to talk about movies there. We just released our episode on uh, Star Wars. Sorry, Star Wars. (laughs) Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. I feel ashamed because I actually suggested that episode. That's my episode. Um, I'm a huge Trekkie, actually, believe it or not. So. Um, I take the lead on that episode so you should definitely listen to that one listen to collateral cinema directors cut Bo and Robert do that exclusively I'm not actually a part of the director's cut but I listen to all the episodes and they're fantastic so go check that out they just released a director's cut on uh, movie recommendations Um, and they're also doing kind of a similar thing here we're doing they're doing top 510 lists and random movie reviews so I'm actually running this analog to their version Um, but that's it guys stay safe. Um, if, uh, one important thing I want to mention before I go out there, my last thought, um, is if you are struggling with mental health, please reach out. Um, I can't stress that enough. I know that's not something I normally talk about on this podcast. Um, but I, I kind of want to reach out cause it's something that's personally hitting home for me. So, uh, if, if you are struggling, please reach out, get help. Uh, Because I think it's really important, especially during this, you know, COVID crisis as we're um, coming, seems to be coming out of a pandemic, but there's obviously fear of a second wave happening and I'm not going to get into it because the entire thing has become politicized like everything has. But um, like I said, just stay safe as much as you can, you know, and and if you are struggling um, with your mental health, reach out. Um, You can reach out to us. You can reach out to me personally. Seriously. You know what I mean? I'm on social media. You can go find me, Ashley Chancellor. um, Or, you know, message us on our other social media channels. And then definitely go, you know, follow us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, Go check out our Patreon. We're going to start releasing some Patreon content. I know I say that every episode, but we're going to do it at some point. Maybe during the interim, between seasons. I don't know. But that's it, guys. Uh, That being said, I'm Ashley Chancellor. That's it. I'm just Ashley Chancellor. That's That's just me. Hope this wasn't really, really shitty as a solo podcast Uh, stay safe and we'll see you next time later Lateral Gaming is an L Company production. All music and game clips are owned by their respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor. Boy.